0: I've shared a little bit of my story over the past couple of weeks. We've been in this series called Contagious Hope, and the first uh, month, the first half of it was about the positive side of hope, about how God wants to fill us with hope and to be able to restore hope in our communities and our hearts. And then I really needed to take a kind of a downward turn to a little bit of a darker part. What do we do? How do we gain hope? How do we hold on to hope when life gets a little more discouraging and depressing? And so today is kind of like the bottom of all of that. So if you've come expecting a really, wow, this is exciting message, so just come back next week too. Okay, because um, today I want to be like super honest about what happens when the bottom falls out. What happens... When hope is all you have left to cling to. And what hope? What happens if you even give up hope in God's plan for you? My own journey is an interesting journey. I've been your pastor, well, I've been at Sunrise 27 years. Four years as youth pastor and then senior pastor the last 23 years. And I'm forever grateful that God brought me here and walked this process and journey and what God has done at Sunrise. It's its just been amazing. I have been blessed beyond anything I could have ever imagined, and I'm so thankful for that. I love you guys. We've been on this journey that uh, has resulted really in a lot of changes over the years, but more and more people have come to know Jesus because of it and be discipled. Well, but it almost didn't happen. I went to college in salem it 's now Corbin University, and I went to go get a business management and accounting degree, not a fisheries wildlife, but I, I went to be a business manager and accounting guy in San Francisco. I was going to commute from Petaluma down there across the bridge in my BMW or Mercedes or whatever, and I was going to live you know live there and work in one of those big towers, and make a lot of money and then God showed up and changed all that and after two years, I decided I, I really don 't like numbers as much as I like people, and God started moving my heart I was serving in children's ministry in my church, which is a great place to get started in ministry, uh, and then moved into youth ministry. And so I wanted to pastor young people. So God moved me to a church in Boise, Idaho, a small Baptist church, about 100 people. And it was a perfect incubation for my growth. I was single. For five years, there was this journey that God took me on to shape and mold me. And you know if you've been on that journey, it's not all good, right? That molding and shaping is really challenging at times. Well, for me, after a couple years, it was about two years the senior pastor retired and uh, then we went on the search for a new senior pastor and the deacons who were the leadership structure they came to me and said would you like to be the senior pastor And I'm like what are you smoking are you kidding I got the best job on the planet I'd never stepped down to be a senior pastor what a loser job right I want to be a youth pastor all my life I didn't quite say it like that I was kind and respectful but I couldn't imagine doing anything other than pastoring youth it was the best job I ever had And so then after about a year, we found a senior pastor, and things didn't quite turn out the way we thought. Because from the very beginning... I discovered later, two years later, that he was intimidated by me, that because they had offered the job to me, that was a threat to him. And so it started this long process of dysfunction. I didn't realize how unhealthy the leadership was or the structure was. The deacons would give me a job description and tell me to go do that. And then I'd meet with the pastor and he'd say, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And then they would, the deacons would meet with me and say, no, we don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And I was confused. Who am I working for here? And over time, um, I began, to be a threat to him because as I would do ministry, um, things would work, and then he would do ministry, and it wouldn't work as well, and he began to be jealous. He sat with me one day and said, you're killing my ministry. Everything you do is successful, and everything I do fails. You're making me look bad, and I'm like, I don't understand any of that. I just want to do ministry. In fact, I remember once sitting down and go, well, I'll teach you some marketing. I'll teach you some things like that. I'll teach you how to plan and organize if you want to, and and that was offensive, and it was just Chaos. I'm young. I don't know what's going on. I'm passionate for Jesus. I'm discipling young people. People are coming to Christ. At one time, we had about 30 30 plus youth in our church. That's about a third of the church was in our junior high and senior high ministry. And we had our own space and we were doing events and people were coming to Christ and being discipled. But, you know, it was just a threat. I didn't know and I didn't understand that he had what's called a scarcity mentality, which is basically like if there's a pie, if you take a piece of pie out of that, you took that person's pie and you're a threat because they want that piece. And I'm an abundance guy, which means uh, here's a pie, there's a pie, everywhere a pie pie. Let's go get pies, right? accepted a church potluck. I'm a scarcity guy because I want to get my dessert first because I know how that works, you know. But in life, I just like, let's just all be blessed, right? Let's serve one another. Let's, Let's praise God when good things go on anywhere. Let's pray together when bad things go on anywhere. Well, it culminated with this series of youth events, I I was in a youth ministry training. It was part one. And then six months later was going to be part two. And so I'd already put in my vacation or my uh, my conference time and um, everything. And he told me I couldn't go. And I said, well, okay, why? He goes, you can't ask me that. You just have to not go. And I said, well, I don't understand. I, I this was a, you, you, we approved part one. This is part two. And, and meanwhile, the church, it's not a full-time job. I'm working two days a week, 10 hour days working on a farm and that's good hard work. I mean, I love it. And, uh, and, and it's one of those things that it was good, but I, I had to supplement my income and this was doing some coaching and training of other youth pastors and was going to help me do that. And he said, you can't go. And I said, I, I don't understand. I met with the head deacon. I said, this doesn't make any sense. He says, well, let's get a meeting together. The deacon showed up at my home and they said, tell us about this. I said, well, it's Part one, and you guys said yes. And part two, and they said, "What if we say you can't go?" I'm like, <laughs> I don't really understand what's going on here. I said, "Well, can I take my own vacation time?" And they said, "No." I go, "Hold on, you tell me I can't take vacation and go do this?" I said, "What if I pay for it myself?" They said, "No." I scratched my head. I said, "Something's wrong here." And they finally said, "Okay, we'll let you go." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." So I went on this trip, and afterwards I was staying at Mary Beth's house. We were we were dating at the time, and I get a phone call on a Monday, and it was from a dear friend, and he called me and said, I I just got to tell you what happened last night at church. The pastor got up and stood, uh, read a resignation letter, and he said that for two years, he'd been keeping a record of all the times you had hurt and offended him and all the things you had said. Of course, he'd never talked to me about him. And he read it and said, you have been trying to kill his ministry, and you want the senior pastor job, and so he's quitting. I'm like, wow. So I go back, and i meet with the deacons, and, and it wasn't true, but it didn't matter at that point because it had all blown up. And so I just said, well, I, I, I got to go find the next thing, I guess. Now I'm a planter, and I'm the kind of guy that, I've, I've been here 27 years, I'm a planter. I don't just like move, right, you know? I want to stay, I want to see God work through the seasons. And so I was committed to that church. It took that to get me out of there. I was heartbroken. Well, in the middle of all this, you know, I'm reading through the Bible every year. I've been doing that since um, middle of college. My mom got me that Bible that started me on the journey. And uh, I just happened to be reading in the book of Job. It's like, gee, thanks, God. That was nice of you. Um, And so I'm reading through Job, and I'm reading these stories. And yet somehow, what, what God says is the peace that passes all understanding just washed over me. And I didn't defend myself. I didn't get angry. I just trusted in the lord i didn't have a job and so i had to do you know lay carpet and paint homes and do all kinds of stuff like that do some graphics work and, and whatever it could and I'm, I'm on this journey of waiting and waiting and waiting and that's how i ended up coming to sunrise church and you welcomed me it was the journey but i'll tell you it almost didn't happen because i was at the point where i didn't know if i should give up You know, I I, I hadn't done any of those things. I hadn't intended any of that, but I ended up in a dark season of my life where I thought, is God calling me in a different direction? And I I don't know where you're at right now. Um, I was just sitting there talking to Marty before the service. We're talking about the number of people that have passed away. Um, A pastor that I know just in the Portland area just passed away of COVID. And although we haven't had a lot of COVID deaths, we had a lot of deaths at Sunrise I mean, I I just think back. We had a dear friend, Judy, who was a part of Sunrise for many years, just passed away from cancer. And then Sophie. Sophie was here when I started at Sunrise. And the most amazing, intelligent, brilliant, humble servant of Jesus serving in children's ministry. And Sophie passed away. And then Byron found out he had stage four cancer and just rapidly passed away. And then you continue on that journey. And then we've got some folks that most of you don't know, Jerry and Bobby Patchen, who were here at Sunrise even before I came, and he was the chairman of the board, and they retired. (laughs) Ha ha, how that's funny, isn't it? God sent them down on a Mexico mission trip to build home a home, and they came back, and they started a whole ministry, and then we've been going down for the last 25, 26 years every year, going down there, building homes for people, and working with churches, and sharing the gospel. They both just passed away. It's like wow, okay, and then you then you add it all up, and then and then uh, you know just our dear friend Jeannie Unger just passed away. We did her graveside yesterday. This Saturday is her service, and then a guy that again probably you don't know Mark Steinhauer, he His name is number one on the list when we planted the church on the Constitution and Bylaws with the state of Oregon, and he just passed away. We did his service, and then uh, on. Day before Father's Day, one of our friends who he and his wife met here and moved away, he just died of a motorcycle accident. A young man and and they had a four-year-old and, and just a brand new baby and, and she's alone. You're like, Man, what what do you do when the bottom falls out? What do you do when it's not as you planned? And you had all these, but God, I thought you promised. I thought it was gonna be like this. Where do you go for hope when it just seems dark? I mean, honestly, we've talked about this. You know, we don't like trouble. We run from trouble. We hide from pain. You know, we skirt any kind of struggle. I mean, honestly, how many of you would really like a bad day to show up this week? Anybody raise your hand. If so, we've got counseling for you, okay? Because any of us, if we choose a a week where things were going well, you know, we got an extra check in the mail for something, and our neighbors reconciled with us, and our kids said, hey, thanks, Mom and Dad, and all that stuff that we're always praying for happened... We'd choose that over the bottom falling out. We know that. But sometimes the bottom falls out. And so what do we do? How do we have contagious hope when it feels hopeless? And, and so into that story, I want to talk about the fact that we've had a lot of that, right? We've had storms. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. We've had uh, global infirmity the last year with the pandemic, social instability, just life has been crazy. Financial insecurity. We had racial inequality, political incivility. Here in Oregon last year, raging firestorms and then freezing ice storms. It's like, seriously? Is Revelation busting open? Are these demons going to come out of the ground or something? Because it feels like that, right? And then now we've got more fires. We've got drought. And... Um, you know, it, it, it is a, it's an interesting time. My wife and I were driving this week and we're like, you know, what, what does it look like to correlate all that we're going through with what Bible says we're going to go through? Is it that season? You know, it's been rough on a lot of folks. So a natural question to ask is, where is God when the bottom falls out? Where is God in all of this when the world plunges into darkness? And so this is the question on the lips, on the heart, on the mind of the guy named Job in the Old Testament. You know, Job, his story is he's an upright man, he's a blameless man, he's a godly man. In fact, he's such a godly man that God points him out, his godliness, okay? Because one day Satan comes, the accuser comes, and he's roaming the earth, and you know, what he does, he lies and steals, he kills, he destroys, that's his mission. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? It's like, oh man, it's like, did you have to bring up his name, right? You know? He's like, well, yes, because you've blessed him. He's your favorite student, right? And if you took that away, and God says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll take all that away, but you can't take his life. And in, in four different encounters right away in the book, he loses everything. His crops, his livestock, all his wealth, and his children that is the worst of the worst that could happen to any of us. Everything falls apart. And, and it says this. I love this. This is Job's response in chapter 1. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this... Job did not sin by blaming God. We see that song, Blessed Be Your Name, that comes from here. Matt Redman, he and his wife Beth wrote it after the Twin Towers fell in 9-11. And it correlated that, that when all of everything falls apart, when there's incredible chaos, can we still sing Blessed Be Your Name? This is what Job said in that moment. But the story doesn't end there. Because then Satan goes back to God. And Satan's like... Well, yeah, you just won't let me really dig in deep. God says, "Okay, I'll back up even more." And so Satan comes and at the end of the day Job is sitting in ashes with boils all over his body in intense pain and he's scraping it off with pottery. And his wife looks at him and says, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" And that's not the worst. It gets worse. He's got friends that show up, three friends. Now, the best thing they did was they sat there for days and not said anything. The worst thing they ever did was they opened their mouths, okay? And they started giving him advice. Because like you and me, they had the basic understanding, hey, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And to some degree, there's reality to that. I mean, you know, but, but let's just be honest. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. And they're like, uh, Job, you had to have sinned. You had to have done something wrong. Job's like, no, I didn't. I didn't. And Job's defending, you know, his honor and his integrity and his holiness. And all that, but somewhere along the line, their repeated badgering of questions digs deep into his heart, and he begins to grow bitter with God. And I want to take you to Job 19, it's a lot of verses, 1 to 27, but I want you to hear the pain and the loss in Job's heart and what comes out of his lips when he's finally just devastated. And he feels like everybody, including God, is against him. Because that's how it feels sometimes when we're at the bottom. Let me read these words. Then Job spoke again. How long will you torture me? He's talking to his friends and their words. How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me ten times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Even if I have sinned. That is my concern, not yours. You think you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But here it is. It is God who has wronged me. Now he's reached the bottom. Now he's bitter with God. It is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. Look at this. Look what he says. I cry out help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. Some people read the Bible. They go, I don't really understand the Bible. I don't get the Bible. And I'm like, this is as honest as it gets. This is as deep and as dark. This in the Psalms, right? You're like, man, can you say words like that and not get hit by a bolt of lightning? And it ends up in the Bible, right? God writes it down for us. Thousands of years later, he goes on. He says, he, God, has demolished me on every side, and I am finished. He has, well, look at this, uprooted my hope. God has torn my hope away from me like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent." My relatives stay far from me, and my friends have turned against me. My family is gone. My close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I am like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. I love this. This is great. My breath is repulsive to my wife. (laughs) Probably true. That's great. I am rejected by my own family. This guy is in the depths of despair. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. Now get it, he used to be an elder standing at the gates, and he was a respected man, and he helped the widow and the orphan, and everybody praised his name, and they saw integrity in him, and now even kids can't stand to look at him, right? My close friends detest me. Those I loved have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy. For the hand of God has struck me. Must you also persecute me like God does? Haven't you chewed me up enough? Oh, that my words could be recorded. They were, Job. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument. They have been carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead engraved forever in the rock. Well, on paper now, okay? All right. And he goes on. He says, but as for me. Look at this. This is a weird turn. I love it. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. I want to hold on to that for a bit. I I don't know if you've ever had a Job moment. I felt like I did when I was in Boise, when everything turned against me. When I felt like, you know, I had been abandoned. I didn't get to the bottom, though, because when I was reading through Job, I was learning from him. (laughs) So I was kind of seeing, okay, maybe there's a bigger plan here. So I didn't get bitter with God, but I got desperate. I got anxious, apprehensive. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if any church would hire me. I didn't know even if I could be used in the kingdom anymore. I just didn't know. All my hopes were just crushed. And you know what that feels like. It could be because of the death of a loved one. It could be because of other deaths of dreams of hopes or things like that. You know, you may be like, hi, and just, you know, wonderful today. God bless you. Just be quiet for a while. Um, Because there are people all around you wondering But where's God when the bottom falls out? Where is God when I can't see him anymore? His terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day showed up and it kept going on day after day after day. Friends, it's easy to lose sight of God. It's easy to lose sight of God with death and destruction all around you. In my own heart back then, In the spring of 94, when this was going on with me, I just kept praying every day. He he kept washing over me with peace. I kept working on forgiveness. I ended up moving here, and uh, it was an interesting journey that it wasn't over when I moved here because when you've been hurt that deeply, it takes a long time to truly forgive from your heart. And Jesus says, you know, you got to keep forgiven, right? How many times? Just keep forgiven, you know? And um, I, back in the day, I used to go to a place called Incredible Universe, and then it used to be called Fries, and now it's called nothing. Um, but I would go there, and, and it was kind of funny now, because every time I'd drive down 217 get on I-5 to go down to Wilsonville, there was a big exit sign with the last name of the deacon who decided I was Satan incarnate and sided with the pastor. And I'm like, that's really funny, God. Thank you very much. And there was no other way to get there. And yet it was a moment of just praying. It's like a reminder. Okay, I got to pray for that person. I got to pray for those people. I got to pray for my sake. I got to make sure I have total forgiveness. Or there might be bitterness that keeps coming into my heart. And God continued to work on my heart. But where do you go when you can no longer see God? Job could only see God as an adversary. As an enemy, as one who's throwing his arrows. Now we know the end of the book, that's not how it was. But Job wasn't there yet. He was in the middle of the book. And some of you are still in the middle of the story. And you can't see God. Have you heard of Florence Chadwick? I don't know if you've ever read her story. In 1950, she crossed the English Channel swimming both ways. 21 miles. That's either really, really stupid or amazing, okay? I'm not a swimmer. Can you imagine crossing the English Channel? That's called marathon swimming. Amazing. 21 miles both ways. First person ever do that. Two years later, 1952, she sat out to swim from Catalina Island, Southern California, to the coastline of California. 26 miles. That is a marathon right there. 20. Six miles. She didn't make it. It wasn't the cold water, the freezing water, that did her in. It wasn't the exhaustion of swimming 26 miles that did her in. It wasn't the sharks that circled around and the fear of that that did her in. It was the fact that fog set in and she gave up a half a mile before reaching her destination. This is what she said when she got to shore she was pulled out. She said, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but I feel like if the fog hadn't been there and I could have seen the land, I would have made it. I would have made it. The fog prevented her from seeing a half mile. She had enough strength, she had enough energy, she had enough passion, but she could no longer see. Now, she then Shortly after that, two months later, tried again. She left Catalina and she kept on. And guess what? The fog set in. But it's like, I'm doing this anyway because I know in spite of the fog, there's still a coastline of California. And she made it. She made it in record time. That's crazy. Two hours less than anyone had ever done it. The fact that anybody had ever done it before is crazy if you ask me, okay? But what happens when we can no longer see God and the fog sets in? I mean, even if we're just that close to the end, that's where Job was. The fog settled in. It doesn't help that his friends brought the fog with them, right? It doesn't help that God didn't answer until the end, but he left in that moment in the fog his hope in God. He left his certainty in God's goodness, and he began to believe all of the lies That his friends, the enemy, had brought to him and he gave up on God. But the cool part of the story is God didn't give up on Job. And and even though we won't have, I pray, we won't have that same encounter that Job had with God. I love it. Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you some questions now. It's so beautiful. God is so sarcastic in the end of Job. And yet God blesses Job in the end and blesses him double But he had to go through the experience. And even if it was just for Job, which it's not been just for Job, it's an example for us. Where do you go when there's no clarity and when the fog rolls in? I believe that hope is like the anti-fog of your life. You put some of that stuff. You you know when you had to wear a mask? Remember those days? (sighs) Okay. Okay. And you put your glasses on, those of us with glasses or sunglasses, and it's fogging up. You're like, "Ah, seriously, did they not think about this? Okay, you put the anti-fog, you spray it, and then it doesn't fog up. Hope, my friends, hope is the anti-fog for your life. When all around you is darkness, when all around you is discouragement, or as I shared last week, depression, or maybe some of you even all around you is death, fog can be lifted with hope. Because God is a God of hope. As I was finishing up my message this week, I think it was Thursday morning, I was sitting there in the morning with my computer and the notification popped up. It was an email notification. And I kid you not, it made me laugh because the email header, I didn't even read the email, the header said, if God is good, why does God allow suffering? (laughs) Like, that's kind of funny, God. That's a good one. So I went and read the email. And I'm like, yeah, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? If he's so powerful, why does he allow us to go to despair and darkness, depression, discouragement? Why does he bring death or why does he even allow it, right? Well, uh, years ago, George Barna conducted a national survey asking people, man on the street, woman on the street, if you could ask God any one question and he would answer it, what would the question be? And the highest question on the list was simply this. I would ask God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? That would be my question. Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? In fact, I want to go to the question and then some sub-questions. It should be on there. Maybe not. Okay, it's not there. I'll just let you write them down. Why does God allow pain and suffering digs deeper into some other questions if you dare have the courage to ask them? Because these are not normally things that are taught in church or Bible study. Number one, why is God so unfair? Have you ever had the courage to ask that question? Has there been so much despair in your life, maybe so much darkness in your life, that you wonder, why are you being unfair to me? That's what Job asked. He had the courage to ask it. When everything is falling apart. Or number two, why are you so silent, God? Why don't you reveal yourself? Why don't you answer me? That's what Job asked. Those are dangerous questions for us. The third one, God, why are you so hidden? I mean, I I could at least take it if you'd show up, right? Why why do you hide yourself from me? You know, those are the most beautiful questions we could ask because those are the questions in the Psalms. Those are the questions in the book of Job. I would hope that you don't have such a superficial Christianity, a relationship with God, that you don't allow yourself to ask those questions when the fog rolls in. God, why are you unfair? Because that's how you feel, right? Now, we know up here he's not being unfair, but it sure feels like it, right? Do you ever allow yourself to express those true feelings to God and to your safe community around you? You got to be safe in that community to ask that question. Why are you so silent? Um, Many believers throughout the years have gone through what we call the dark night of the soul. When it feels like, honestly, there's no God. And boy, quote unquote, saints have gone through that. Pastors have gone through that. parishioners have gone through that. People have got to the point in their spiritual life where they no longer feel the presence of God. Um, We'll go back to our C.S. Lewis reading group. Um, We talked about this a number of weeks ago that that's the best act of worship when you can pray when you don't believe in prayer anymore that's when the enemies push back that's when the darkness is blown away by light when you trust when you don't trust anymore when you worship when you don't even believe he's there anymore That's when God shows up at such a depth level that then when the breakthrough happens, you have a victory. You didn't abandon God in the darkness of the fog. You didn't give up a half mile from shore. But I'll tell you, I've been there. It's hard to pray when you don't think God is on your side. It's hard to worship when all you're doing is singing words that don't reflect your heart. But when you do it, And when God shows up, it changes everything, my friends. Have you ever had the courage to ask questions like this? Why would a God of love allow this to happen? Why did he stand by and watch me lose my spouse or my child? Why didn't he intervene so I could keep my job and my career? Why would he allow my spouse to cheat on me? Why won't he come now and help me with my pain? and my suffering you know the whole story of job and the book of job is a reminder that god doesn't owe us an explanation we want an answer we want to understand things we can't comprehend we want to know the heart of god and the mind of god but here's the most beautiful thing about job that later shows up in that story of Lazarus, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, dear friends of Jesus, and Lazarus gets sick and Jesus doesn't show up and he dies. And Mary and Martha both ask, you know, why weren't you here, God? Why weren't you here, Jesus? Because I know you could have fixed it. Here's the beauty of Job and what we learn is that God doesn't really need to give us answers. He just needs to show up. And God has shown up in Jesus, my friends. The presence of Jesus in that story of Lazarus and just weeping, tells us that God does care when it doesn't feel like it when it doesn't look like it when God missed the appointment and didn't show up God doesn't want to give us an answer he wants to give us himself because that just overrides any question we might have in first 1st Thessalonians 4 13 to 14 Um, I want to read this, and I'll just make a comment. We'll close. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. That's the key right there. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. The key there, Paul writes to people who, in a very Greek culture, thought that the soul went into this weird holding pattern stasis for eternity and never achieved anything beyond that. And Paul writes, so there's something better than that. <laughs> uh, we will go to be the, with the presence of God, he says other, in other places, but we will grieve, but not like people who have no hope. I shared this yesterday at a graveside, but I want to I tell you this. I think in a bigger, broader way, it, it, it may not be a physical death. It could be a relational death. It could be any kind of death that no matter what happens in this planet, my friends, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to grieve like a person without hope because we know that whatever God wants to do, he can do in greater measure. If we trust him and walk, even when we don't feel like it, even when we begin to question his goodness, his greatness, his love, his presence in our life, when we put our hope in him, we have a hope that people of the world don't have. I mean, think about this. If you don't believe in God, if you believe that you're just some evolutionary accident of billions of years of the byproduct of mutations and just all these things decaying, and if you believe in all that, then your, your life has no purpose in the beginning because your life has no purpose in the end. You're just going to die. And the lights are going to go out, and that's all. And so anything you can do in the middle is making your own fake purpose. It's not real. What hope do you have? But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a hope. And the hope is that even though I grieve... For this one, the context is about death. But even though I grieve, I still grieve with a hope that God can resurrect my life. Because he will resurrect me one day. He will resurrect my friend, my loved one, my spouse, my parent. He will resurrect my child. He will do that. But even in this life, he can resurrect dreams. He did it in my life. 27 years ago. And he resurrected hope by bringing me here to this church. And I'm just, I just want to tell you, don't let the fog roll in and give up hope. The fog will roll in, but don't let it cause you to take your eyes off of God because he is a good God that loves you. And even though it might not seem like it right now, he has his best for you. And even if you pray and you don't feel it, and even if you worship and don't feel it, it's not a lie because the truth exists apart from your experience right now. He is a God of love and he will carry you through the darkest of times pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for the journey of Job, the ups and the downs and the crushing defeats and then seeing you and understanding more. Because I I know a lot of us have walked it. Some of us are walking it right now. Some of us have given up hope, even in you. So God, I pray that today, even though fog has rolled in and we can't see you, that we would not stop the journey. We would not give up because you are there. And you will show up and you will reveal yourself, but it won't be in our timing, won't be the way we want it to be because you have a higher plan and we, we won't understand it all. We can't understand it all, but we will see you face to face. We pray in your name. Amen.